Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the worlds of fitness and nutrition. I'm so excited about today's episode, so make sure you listen in and get ready to learn. Hey y'all, today I have Sean Tasson. He is an MD, a board certified OBGYN with 20 years of experience in bioidentical hormone replacement. He is extremely knowledgeable about anything related to hormones, thyroid issues, cortisol, adrenal, you name it. And I'm so excited to have him on my podcast today. He is based out of Austin, Texas. So if you live in Austin, make sure you check out his website and everything that he does. But thank you so much, Dr. Sean, for coming on my podcast. I'm super excited to have you. So can you tell my listeners a little bit more about who you are, what got you started into wanting to be an OBGYN? Well, thanks for having me. Um, as you said, I'm currently practicing in, in Austin, although I do even do, um, I do online consults um, for people that can't make it to Austin. Um, I'm board certified in OBGYN. I have a, uh, my mom passed away when I was, gosh, I was a second year uh, resident when she got diagnosed with ovarian cancer and when she was 51 and she passed away five years later. And when she passed away, I was a practicing OB. What I found was I couldn't help my mother. I couldn't help her with her symptoms from chemo or cancer or, I mean, I knew all the stuff about surgery and and all the meds and everything, but I couldn't make my mother feel better. I, I just had to sit there and watch her suffer. And when she passed away, I was kind of like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to do this. I'm not going to practice medicine and, and not be able to help people. And so I went on a little bit of a journey and um, went to a two-year fellowship in integrative medicine at the University of Arizona with uh, Andrew Weil. And after that program, there was an eight-week module in that program about spirituality and health, which I I don't know. I just was kind of like taken aback by the whole thing and um did a PhD, which was another six years of uh, mind-body medicine and and learning about things like yoga and meditation and, and heart math and all these things that were out there that were kind of alternative ways of healing. And so what I bring now to my patients, or I'm trying to, which is still hard because I take insurance a lot of the time, um, is trying to bridge that gap between uh, regular gynecology where I do I do surgeries, I do robotic surgeries, um, to the other world that I'm in where I can talk about um, herbal supplements and acupuncture and, um, and mind-body medicine as well. So just kind of bridging both worlds as best I can. Yeah, I absolutely love that you integrate everything, right? Because it's more than just what we eat. It's more than just what we do for our bodies. It's also how we are thinking that greatly influences our total health, right? You can't heal without having a healing mindset. So I'm very glad that you incorporate that into your practice as well. Thanks. You know, I, it's really interesting. You can read a million books and go through all the tragedies and, 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 and try to become a better person. And there's all the cliches of, of uh, personal growth and people read, you know, thinking grow rich and, and the secret and all these things. And it's really hard. It, it, it's not just as simple as 
uh, thinking it. And there's a great podcast out there that I listen to. There's a fellow named Jim Fortin, F-O-R-T-I-N. And, and Jim really kind of talks more about how you can't be rich if you don't think you're rich. You can't be healthy if you don't think of yourself as healthy. And so you have to, and I, I talk to my patients about this now, if you want to be um, thinner, if you want to if you want to be your ideal weight, you can't think of yourself as a fat person because if you think of yourself that way, your body is going to be that way and you're going to act that way and you're going to have the habits of that type of a person. And so um, it's been, a, you know, for me, that's been eye opening, um, just trying to be not, you know, you get down on yourself, you get stuck in old routines and you start languaging yourself in that mindset. Like I'm a loser or I'm, you know, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to have money or, you know, all of the way that the ways that we talk to ourselves, it's such a, I mean, you just posted some pictures on Instagram. Obviously you were competing for a show and you can't, you can't get to that look that you were wanting to achieve without picturing yourself that way. You have to, you have to think you're that person or you're never going to get there. You know? Yeah, exactly. I like to call it the victim mindset that a lot of people get in. Mm-hmm. It's like, woe was me. And when you're in that victim mindset, especially when it comes down to healing your hormones or your thyroid or your cortisol issues, if you aren't, if you don't have the place of healing there and you're not focusing on your blessings and focusing on the good in your life, then that negativity is going to take away from your healing process. And for many, that is the game changer there. Well, and people will look at you and they'll say, oh, she's so young and she hasn't experienced things. And, 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 and that's a bunch of bunk anyways. But let's look at it this way. I'm 52, but my story, my story of, you know, whether it be hormone imbalance or weight gain or money or whatever it is, my story is from when I was probably eight years old. And the younger you are, the, the one, the more chance you have of actually creating your story so that it doesn't propagate into your 50s. But you can you can still have a storyline from being eight years old when you're 22 or 25. Um, and I think we just need and, and that's what I was talking about with hormones. I, I look at hormones. Um, if any if someone goes to. What they'll get is one of 12 hormone in. I feel like that hormone imbalance tells a story and, and, and as does medicine in general, you know, whatever disease we're talking about, there's a narrative there that I think is good to tap into to find out why you're that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's start talking about these different hormone imbalances that can wreak havoc on our bodies. So for my listeners, there are so many podcasts in my feed that dive into what a typical menstrual cycle should look like, what it should not look like, the ins and outs of things like fertility awareness method. Um, but I really wanted to have Dr. Sean on to get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty. So do you mind talking first about estrogen dominance and the issues that you see and the treatment, the, the wrong treatment approaches people are using? So for my listeners that don't know, you know, symptoms of estrogen dominance may be abdominal weight gain, irregular menstrual periods, breast swelling or discomfort, mood swings, fatigue, insomnia, um, excessive weight gain, um, and decreased sex drive. So that's just a little bit of an overview of what it is. But Dr. Sean, what do you see? What, how do people approach this the wrong way? 
Well, doctors will primarily approach estrogen dominance wrong by putting women on birth control pills. Amen which to that. Replacing estrogen dominance with estrogen dominance. Um, so uh, that's kind of a fix almost for everything. But an estrogen dominant state is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And um, a lot of women that have that disease or that process are put on birth control pills. So we're obviously not fixing the problem we're just stabilizing it and we're keeping it kind of at bay right where it is um the interesting thing about estrogen dominance um is that it, it, it's a story and the story of estrogen dominance i call the queen because estrogen is actually a good horn it's a great hormone for women um it is the quintessential female hormone but in in overdrive, it can create a, a, a woman that isn't necessarily at her best. And so if we look at um, the, the quintessential female leader is a queen. Um, the, they're the powerful, and there's good queens and there's bad queens. Um, there's benevolent leaders and there's off with your head type leaders. And so um, estrogen dominance um, at times is that's how you are in your cycle at times when you're in the first two weeks of your period uh, cycle you're estrogen dominant and then you become progesterone dominant in the second half um, so it, it isn't necessarily in and of itself a bad thing it's when it's constantly that way and you're constantly getting stimulated by estrogen but you don't have the calming effect of the progesterone that comes in and so for women that have estrogen dominance, we want to find out one, why are they estrogen dominant? Is it because they're eating a lot of toxins if they have a toxic lifestyle and, and you know plastics and all these things that can cause it? Are they overweight because fat cells call, uh, make more estrogen? Um, is it is it just part of their story? And then and and if they are overweight, what's what's causing that? Um, so definitely estrogen dominant. I always thought estrogen dominance would be the number one hormone imbalance that um. I see, and I've had about 25,000 women take my quiz, and far and away, um, estrogen dominance is number two, but far and away, testosterone deficiency is the biggest hormone imbalance in women in all the age groups. Wow, that's super surprising. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, and I think it's because young women that might be in your age group uh, a lot of them, probably 80% of them are on birth control pills. And I was just about know, to ask that. Do you think it's because of birth yeah, control? Totally, because birth control is a synthetic estrogen, very powerful, high dose. It raises sex hormone binding globulin, which then is going to drive down free testosterone. So um, one of the ways we have now discovered that birth control also works is by decreasing libido. Uh, it's, it's well known. That's what it does. Um, you get into women in their 30s and 40s that aren't on necessarily birth control. They now have children. Uh, women are now not just being moms, but they're working in these high-powered jobs. Um, they're, they're not taking care of themselves. Their cortisol is all messed up. Um, but testosterone is really one of those hormones where women have, they have testosterone, but they don't have it obviously in the same levels as men. So a small drop in testosterone for women, even a few points can be a 50% decrease. And so, um, it, it's one of those hormones that I think gets overlooked by the medical community as well, thinking that women don't need testosterone, but you sure do. That's super interesting. So when it comes down to testosterone, then it makes me think, when you're trying to increase testosterone levels, 
then driving up testosterone, you potentially may drive up estrogen as well. So how do you drive up testosterone without creating estrogen dominance? Well, so women, uh, men who take testosterone in high levels, so you're, we're talking a normal range for on a free testosterone for a female is uh, at, a, at, say, Quest Labs is 0.1 to 6.4. Uh, a man is somewhere between on 90 and 120. So men's levels are a lot higher. Um, if you give a female hormone replacement of testosterone, even if she aromatizes the testosterone into estrogen, it's going to be insignificant because you're not giving them a lot. Now, women that take uh, testosterone pellets, which is very common these days, their testosterone levels can get up into the 300s. And so they can certainly... Uh, aromatize a lot of estrogen from that testosterone. So women that are on pellets, which I hate, by the way, um, they can become a little more estrogen dominant from the testosterone they're being given. But if you're taking a cream or a, a sublingual tablet or something, the chances of getting enough estrogen conversion from that small dose of testosterone probably wouldn't happen. Okay, so then you're a fan of the creams. Yes. Okay. okay. What are your thoughts on doing herbals for helping to increase testosterone? Um, one of my favorite herbal meds uh, is is maca. I love maca. The product that I like is Feminescence. I just think it's they've done a lot of research with it. It's a great product. It doesn't necessarily raise your testosterone levels like something like um, you know. There's other things out there like Tribulus terrestris or um, Yohimbine um, that can be a little more dangerous because they do have an effect on the body. They can even raise blood pressure and things like that. For me, women that don't want to actually take testosterone, but that want to try and raise their levels, um, I think doing high-intensity interval training and weight training is probably the best thing you can do to try to get your testosterone levels up. Gotcha. And then it's counterintuitive sometimes, too, because if somebody has cortisol dysregulation, it's like, yeah, we don't want to throw in even more to throw off their HPA axis. Um, what are your thoughts on DHEA supplementation? We're just having a big discussion about this in a Facebook group for doctors. Um, I see DHEA dysregulation maybe 5% of my patients. Um, DHEA is an interesting hormone because we have it in high quantities in our 20s and then it slowly declines into our 70s. Um, most people are have actually decent DHEA levels because they're stressed and DHEA is definitely a stress um, marker from the adrenal gland. Occasionally though, if a patient has low uh, DHEA, DHEA converts into testosterone and um, estrogen in the body. So if you have low testosterone in a female and she has low DHEA, I will probably replace the DHEA because it will give her a little bit of a boost in the testosterone. The problem is I can't control how much she converts. So some women, even if I replace their DHEA, it will help with energy. It will help with um, you know feeling better in general, but it may not make their testosterone level go up significantly if they don't convert it. But um, but it is a good hormone. It's it's a strong hormone in and of itself. Why it's sold over the counter, I have no idea. I've seen women taking way too much DHEA over the counter. Um, a, a, a normal dose for a female is probably going to be between 10 and 25 milligrams. And there's doses out there, 50, 100 milligrams. So you really want to be careful with it because it is actually a hormone, but it's over the counter for some reason. Oh my gosh. There's even progesterone over the counter these days, which is scary. 
Yeah, the progesterone that's over the counter, what they do is they sell it as a quote unquote beauty cream. But the amount of progesterone that's in those is usually about 20 milligrams at the highest dose. And a, a, a therapeutic prescriptive dose of progesterone is going to be about 100 milligrams. So it's pretty weak. Ah, gotcha. Okay, so I'm definitely, for my listeners, I'm a fan of always working with a doctor. Don't try and self-diagnose yourself with anything. But he has gone over a little bit of low testosterone. Um, And I would like to say, when it comes down to that DHEA, I've had a few patients that have, you know, tried supplementing with DHEA. And yes, it can be helpful for some. But if you aren't fixing the root cause, if you have cortisol dysregulation, inflammation, uh, food sensitivities, you're not going to feel better. So You can't throw in supplementation and pills and expect everything to get better. You have to make sure you're fixing the root cause. Yeah, I mean, I have some male friends that are um, using testosterone replacement because their testosterone is low. Um, But it's low because they have this big belly. You know, they have all this abdominal fat that's driving down their testosterone and raising um, raising their estrogen levels in men. And the problem isn't, you know, you, I, they get testosterone added back. And I think guys especially think that they're going to just look like, you know, buff all of a sudden by taking testosterone. And it just doesn't happen. You know, you, like you were saying, is you can't just take a hormone and expect it to, you could feel better, like you could sleep better, you could, you know, it decreases hot flashes and can help with mood swings. But the real work is going to come from living that you know, healthy lifestyle. And I'm talking to myself here too. I'm not, you know, trying to, I got to practice what I preach, but if you don't live that healthy lifestyle and work out and take care of the body and eat right, then taking the hormones isn't going to give you the, the, the results that you could get. No, I completely understand. And I can be the I can sometimes not even listen to my own advice, right? I tell people all the time, focus on your adrenals, take care of your, yourself, self-care. And then I'm work, 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 work. And then my adrenals crash. So just know we're all human. But for overall, we got to take care of ourselves. Um, and then I did want to ask you, so when we're when you're helping with men and you're helping to increase testosterone, have you seen aromatization issues come up? Oh, of course. And some men, I mean, it's not, women don't aromatize um, uh, because their dosages aren't super high. I mean, you're talking about one milligram, two milligrams a day uh, topically for a woman. For guys, you're doing 150 milligram intramuscular dose. Um, there's definitely going to be more aromatization there for men. And, and some guys will aromatize much different than other men. So, I think it's good if you're going to use testosterone replacement, especially as a male, but for women as well, that you're following up with labs, you know, that you're looking at estrogen levels. If you're a guy that you're looking at uh, your PSA, you know, checking the prostate, make sure it's okay. And then you're just like you said, you're working with somebody that um, does this for a living, you know, that you're you're working with a, a provider that that does this follow up. Exactly. Now, for my listeners, we talked about low testosterone. So just to give you guys a little bit of symptoms that somebody might have, increased belly fat, low energy, low muscle mass or weakness, low sex drive, low libido, um, sometimes even vaginal dryness, mood issues, and brain fog. That's typically what I see in regards to different symptoms. Um, And the hard part when it comes down to symptoms, as you know, Dr. Sean, is 
the symptoms can look like something else, right? So you might have symptoms that look like low testosterone. You might have symptoms that look like um, estrogen deficiency or thyroid issues. So that's why it comes down to testing. Now, my question for you is what are your favorite methods of testing? Because I'm a huge fan of the Dutch. Yeah, so um, symptoms overlap, like you just said. So uh, uh, cortisol is a big one. Cortisol insufficiency and cortisol um, excess can almost have exactly the same symptomatology. And I can't tell you how many times I've had a patient come in who's on a cortisol manager, rhodiola and ashwagandha and all these things that kind of suppress uh, cortisol because they have symptoms of high cortisol and then you look at a Dutch and their cortisol is in the dirt and they're complaining of being tired all the time and it's because not only was their cortisol low but we were making it, suppressing it even more with this cortisol manager. So um, testing is super important and the two, there's three ways of testing hormones. There's uh, saliva, blood and, and uh, urine. I don't do saliva with the exception of cortisol levels. Saliva to me is not reproducible. Um, the studies that uh, show um, they don't show like that where they've done saliva and blood at the same time, the, it, it doesn't correlate to actual levels. I, I just don't think it's reproducible in between individuals because everybody secretes differently. And so it's just not a reproducible test. Um, blood is blood has its benefits. Blood testing is good because it's in, it's quick. It takes a couple of days to get the results back. Um, it's it's uh, it's uh, covered by insurance in most cases, um, so people like to use it because of that. Um, you can test thyroid. You can test vitamin D. Um, so it's definitely a great test, and it's extremely accurate because it's blood. Um, it's, it is what it is. Uh, the problem with blood is that it is only limited to the time that the needle's in your arm. So. It's a Polaroid. It's a snapshot. Um, it's good. Sometimes with blood, you just have to repeat testing. You got to get more data points to make it more accurate. So you might, you know, need three or four tests to really zero in on some dosages and things like that. Um, the third round, and the thing that you talk about is the Dutch, which is a 24-hour urine test. The benefits to Dutch is that one, it's 24 hours, so it's a much bigger time frame. Uh, two is that it's accurate testing. <clears throat> Uh, three would be that it uh, tests not just the sex hormones, but it checks their breakdown products. It checks detoxification pathways. It'll look at cortisol, which is super important. It does oats testing, which is like vitamin B6, B12, uh, dopamine, precursors, uh, norepinephrine, um, uh, glutathione, and melatonin. So it checks a lot of other things, gives us a lot of information. The limitations to Dutch is um, basically that it doesn't do thyroid, it doesn't do vitamin D, takes about three weeks to get the results back and costs in the neighborhood of $350, $400, um, and it's not covered by insurance. But, there, but what I tend to do with a lot of patients is I'll do blood first uh, because it's immediate, covered by insurance, and I'll also order a Dutch at the same time that they'll do probably the next day so while I'm getting them a treatment plan going with the blood, the Dutch is kind of out and we get those results back in three weeks and anything that I need to use to kind of fill in the blanks or add, I'll base it off of the Dutch. Gotcha. So when it comes down to the first method of testing, which would be your preferred then? 
if I had my preference, I would do the Dutch with a thyroid panel and vitamin D through blood. Um, I would say that about 80% of the patients that I have in my clinic will prefer blood because they they can use their insurance. 10% will do both, blood and uh, the urine test, and then 10% just do the Dutch. Yeah, definitely that would be the downside of the Dutch is how expensive it is. Now, yeah. there's some different insurance companies I have found that have reimbursed like 100 to 150, but I don't see anything more than that. No, I, 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 I don't even think my patients try to get reimbursed for it. But um, <clears throat> And if you can get 100 bucks, it's great, but the paperwork you got to fill out is ridiculous. Yeah, I know. I, I know I could probably, for me, I've done the Dutch, and I don't even, like, $100 to me, like, going through that whole process of dealing with insurance, I'd rather just not get the $100. Right, <laughs> it's terrible. Right. Yeah, no, I get it. Oh, okay, so let's dive a little bit more into cortisol because we know having low, high cortisol can contribute to a lot of these hormone conditions. So for my listeners, there are essentially three different stages of having cortisol issues. So we can have high cortisol, we can have adaptive cortisol, whether that is abnormal, high or low, and then we can have low cortisol. So these fluctuations are really important because somebody can need different supplements, herbs, or different lifestyle modifications in order to get them to a better place with their cortisol levels. And if you do not test, and like Dr. Sean says, you throw in something that makes it worse, you you decrease your cortisol when it's already low, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. So let's talk about why somebody would potentially have high or low cortisol and what your best tips would be to help with solving that. Well, obviously either doing some sort of salivary or urinary testing um, because you really want to know what you're dealing with. Um, and then it just depends. So like if somebody that has a low cortisol curve throughout the day, I had a lady the other day, a pharmaceutical rep, three sons under the age of seven, uh, she drives all the time and she's eating kind of crappy because she's buying lunches for these offices and she's in the car all day, um, not working out the way that she wants to. But she, to me, cortisol insufficiency or whatever you want to call it, that, that stage where you're just basically shot. I call that a, the, the storyline for that in my, in my uh, quiz is called the saboteur because those women um, have now sabotaged their health because they take care of everybody else. They, they take care of everybody else's problems before they take care of themselves. And that's now uh, a lack of self care that they are unfortunately at this stage. And, um, the stage before that is the cortisol excess or what I call the workaholic. Um, and those people, they're run, they're not just burning the candle at both ends. They're burning it with a blowtorch. So, Eventually, you can run that for a while, but eventually you're going to burn out, and that's what the adrenal fatigue side of things looks like. So for a woman that has this low cortisol, like this lady I described, um, I have them take basically desiccated bovine adrenal gland, uh, adrenal cortex fractions through a company called Integrative Therapeutics to just get them feeling better to start with. Um, then you look at things like, you know, this has got to be a lifestyle change for these people. Um, <clears throat> they have to start taking care of themselves and <clears throat> sorry, I didn't getting over the flu. Oh, I'm um, so sorry. I hope you feel better. Well, I went to Hawaii and I think on the way back stuck in that tin can for seven hours, I, I just 
picked up something. Um, so, you know, a lot of these women, like this lady, you know, it seems counterintuitive, but I tell them not to work out in the sense that don't do high intensity interval cardio because you don't have anything to give. You, your body is shot. You know, if you need to move, go walk or or do something, you know, lift a little bit of weight or something. But you you, you need to relax. You need to step, take a step back and take care of your body, not push it even harder. Um, that's how you kind of got here in the first place. People that are um, in the hyper cortisol arena where they just have too much because they're living in this flight or fight phase and they're constantly engaged, um, they need to back up. They need to um, find some sort of a practice. We try to find them something that's, that they can engage with that's not uh, stressful, that's not um, – disengage from whatever it is, you know, whether it's their job or whatever, but get them into something like meditation or yoga. I have a lot of those people that like to do hot yoga because hot yoga is a little harder to do. So for people that are super competitive, um, it really adds that kind of physical aspect to it where, you know, you got to stay in the room and do the poses. But at the same time, if you do it long enough, um, you get the you'll get that uh, that mental benefit from that. And for some of these folks that are driven, that are uh, workaholic types, they they can't they they don't want to meditate because they can't sit still long enough because the monkey mind is going going and going. But yeah, there's that's definitely two ends of the spectrum with different treatment types. One hundred percent. But either way, whether it's high or low cortisol, you got to focus on those lifestyle changes, Mm -hmm. reducing inflammation, reducing Mm -hmm. stress, making sure you sleep well. Super, super important. I know when it comes down for me um, and suggesting for low cortisol, then it's like, okay, what can we do for circadian rhythm training? Can we do some light therapy? Can mm-hmm. we throw in some adaptogens like rhodiola, licorice, maca? Um, of course, there's so many different ones, but to help um, just further push along and improve the, the low cortisol. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned adrenal glandulars that's something that i don't personally prescribe Mm -hmm. but have you ever found in regards to glandulars them causing more issues for people well it's one of those things like um it's the same thing with thyroid so you know giving somebody armor or np it's a glandular it's just a prescription um i think the glandulars should be prescriptions unfortunately you can get them over the counter but it's not a long-term – I don't look at it as long-term. I don't look at it as necessarily a fixing of the problem. But if I have a person in my office that is – I mean, the, the lady that I'm talking about, the pharmaceutical rep, she was to the point where you know, she was at her wit's end and she was crying and she can't live her life and she can't be with her sons and she's – you know she literally felt better in about three days on glandulars. Now, it's not something I would want her on forever. I just wanted her out of that. A kickstart. Yeah. I wanted to get her out of that storyline and show her that we can get her feeling better. I want her feeling that way all the time and not because she's taking a glandular. But that's going to take some time. That's going to, we're going to, you know, it's going to take a few months probably to get her back to that point. But at least... In the immediate, because then you get you get somebody that's excited. They're like, "Oh my gosh, I do feel better, and I don't have to feel this way." And so then they get engaged and they want to work on the other things. Gotcha. So, what would be when it comes down to high cortisol levels? 
What would be your favorite, I would say, top two supplements to help with high cortisol levels? Um, I like uh, ashwagandha. Me too. Um, and I like rhodiola. Those would probably be my two favorites. Um, <clears throat> I actually just, most of your cortisol managerial type um, supplements, um, like with you know, the various companies that are around, everybody seems to have one. Um, the, 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 the big ingredients are going to be your ashwagandhas. Um, and, and rhodiola is usually going to be in there. I'm a good, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, um, maybe using things like, um, theanine, um, uh, it's helpful or even something like, um, there's a, there's a product out there, uh, called Epimedium. That's, a um, an extract, uh, phosphatidylserine can work for a lot of people as well. Um, I usually am when I, when I recommend, um, supplements, I'm kind of a purist. So I tend not to use, um, proprietary formulations because if there's seven things in there, I don't necessarily, I know what's working, um, versus using like just something like phosphatidylserine or just something like, um, something else I've used before is magnolia or magnolia bark or something like that. But in the cases of cortisol, high cortisol levels, I will use a cortisol manager. Um, I do. I like a product by Integrative Therapeutics called Cortisol Manager because it has a lot of the things that I like to use um, in there. Um, but you know, and it's not particularly expensive, which is another great thing about it. So, but those would be the big things that I would use. Gotcha. I'm a huge fan of ashwagandha too, phosphatidylserine, L-theanine, GABAG, manolia. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never used holy basil, but I do know some people love holy yeah. basil. Yeah. I think the struggle when it comes down to these supplements for high or low cortisol, of course, when it comes down to supplements in general, underdosing. There are so many different companies that have these products out saying that they're going to claim to help somebody with all these issues, and then they're significantly underdosed. Oh yeah, that's a that's a big problem I see with people. You know, they'll come in and they'll say, "Well, the the maca didn't work, or the magnesium didn't work," and it's like, "Well, what are you taking?" Well, I'm taking 200 milligrams of magnesium. Well, you know, it's kind of like ibuprofen. 200 milligrams might work on a really bad period cramps, but 800 might work a lot better. Um, so there's there's therapeutic dosing, and most people don't therapeutically dose. Um, you know, magnesium glycinate, you might need to take 800 milligrams a night. You might need to take more. Um, it's, uh, it's the same. I, I do uh, a lot of high dosing of omega, uh, omega three, six and nine for patients and <clears throat> using like, um, Udo's choice or a flaxseed oil. And, you know, people will come in and they're saying, well, I'm taking, you know, one or two capsules a day of this oil and it's like well one capsule is one gram a tablespoon is 14 grams and sometimes i'll have people take three tablespoons a day if they're if their gi tract can handle it and that's when they start noticing differences so sometimes you got to look at these supplements as their medicines too i mean a lot of our medications come from plants and and things like that it's just you know trying to find the 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 therapeutic dose versus you know you know, kind of that little whiff that you're taking in the supplement. Exactly. And I know when it comes down to things like ashwagandha, then I'm looking at what are the with analytes, right? So mm-hmm. do you have thoughts on the different types of ashwagandha? So like KSM 66 versus the sensoril versus the dry herb? 
I tend to use more Sensorilla. I don't know. I haven't really. That's not like something that I'm an expert in. I just Sensorilla is one of those things that's available in a lot of products and it's been around for a while. Um, I think like I have a friend uh, who you know, Nat Kringutis, who's a Chinese medicine doctor, and we talk a lot about herbal supplements. And what's interesting about the Chinese is I went into a Chinese herb shop here in Austin the other day, and um, they actually buy, like the guy was making this concoction on the scale, and it was just like handfuls of these herbs, you know? And and I said to Nat, I took a picture of it, I'm like, what the hell is this? It was like this big bag of like stuff. and. And he, she was like, oh, yeah, this lady's got to go home, and then she's got to boil it for, like, a certain amount of time and, and then drink the stuff, and it's horrible, and it tastes awful. Um, but we go to the store and buy, like, a capsule of something. And, and one, do you even know what's in it? Because who knows what brand you're buying? But that's the thing is I think the herb, the actual herb itself would probably be the best thing to take, but I wouldn't know how to take it. That's the problem. Yeah, then it comes down to what's the bioavailability of the herb as well. Mm-hmm. I find the yeah. most interesting thing when it comes down to these adaptogens is how people respond to them, right? So there's, you know, they, they kind of like adapt to what you need in the moment. And with ashwagandha, it's fascinating to how some people, they can take ashwagandha and it helps relax them. It's very good for sleep. And then for some people, they take it and it makes them wired gives them energy so I find that just beyond fascinating because it just it it adds more and more to the fact that all these different prescriptions they have to be individualized oh yeah totally and 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 I think you hit the nail on the head it's the same with it's the same with medications you know people uh, respond differently to say blood pressure medications uh, you know from one to the other so you can't just focus on um, you know you can't be a good coach or practitioner or herbalist or whatever if you just give everybody the same thing and it's the exact same thing with hormones i mean it's it's that's the problem is you you have a lot of practitioners now that uh, practice hormone ex they're hormone experts and they they use pellets and what they do is they take the hormone results from the labs and they plug it into this calculator on their desktop and it tells them what dose to put there's Mm -hmm. there's no there's no expertise. There's no art. It's just, you know, it's spitting out this number, and that's what you put the patient on. And I just think if I would, if I was going to do some herbal remedy, I would want to see somebody that that can treat me as a bio individual and not just somebody that just does it because this is just what they learned on some, you know, TV show or something. Exactly. Oh, I see it so many times, especially with thyroid medications. I literally hate when different endocrinologists will just baby bump up like 25 micrograms and they always start with level thyroxine. They just baby bump it every three months. And I'm like, that can keep you at least, I mean, for me, it kept me, it can keep you in like in a year still being hypothyroid, still having terrible symptoms, even potentially getting worse. So it just kills me to see that happen. Well, not to mention, um, Levo, you may not even be converting the Levo into exactly. T3. So if you, you could be waiting a year to get your level of T4 up, but then you still aren't making T3. Exactly. So it's an issue. Now, I do want to cover, before I let you go, I do want to cover high testosterone in females. 
because we I personally see it as a one of the root causes of PCOS having high insulin levels insulin resistance um so can we talk about how to help high testosterone so um high testosterone in women um first of all it's uh, another one of my archetypes it's called the warrior so women feel good on testosterone um women will feel really good on testosterone that's one of the problems that i have with pellets is that um women feel like they're invincible if you give them a a super high dose of testosterone, but then it can cause problems on the backside. Um, so high testosterone in women, um, we're talking like, uh, you know, super high levels, but you're going to look at things like acne and excess, uh, hair growth. Um, you can have obviously increased muscle mass and irregular periods and two things that are actually permanent. If your uh, testosterone is too high, is a deepening of the voice and um, enlargement of the clitoris. And unfortunately that doesn't go back even when you get levels back into normal. But even excessive testosterone can cause loss of libido um, and, and mood changes and reduction in breast size and thinning hair and stuff like that. So obviously there's some real causes of it like something called congenital adrenal hyperplasia where the adrenal gland actually is producing just too much and um, that's actually a severe problem. Um, but PCOS, uh, the reason that PCOS causes high testosterone level is because in PCOS, the hormone from your pituitary gland called luteinizing hormone or LH is in a too high of a level and the lining of these um, little cysts in the ovaries can, can be lined with theca cells and theca cells make testosterone. So, and that's what LH stimulates is the theca cells. So if you have high LH, you have an extra theca, you have a bunch of extra theca cells from all these little cysts you're going to make more testosterone. And so um, it can be a real problem, too, because that elevated testosterone um, can be you've, – you've really got to dig in to get those um, that LH and FSH to switch back, which will get your testosterone level down. So it's not, it's not an easy one. Um, I know a lot of people that prescribe medications like metformin, uh, spironolactone, um, all kinds of things like even creams to make the hair growth stop. But the reality is trying to get deep in on these women that have PCO, um, which is going to be really diving deep into their nutritional status and really trying to get them to um, change the way that they eat. And even then it's super hard. PCOS is a tough one. It definitely is. And I see helping somebody focus on the quality of their diet as well as blood sugar management and then incorporating resistance training and some aerobic training as well is very, very powerful for helping with that high testosterone and the PCOS. But then, of course, adding in a little bit of herb support, I tend to see be really helpful as well. Actually, I think everybody could use a little bit of liver support. That's just one of them that I suggest with high testosterone. But I think everybody could use a little bit of liver support because as you know, there's so many endocrine disruptors these days. Oh yeah, I, I, I uh, teach a course for um, people that want to dive deeper, coaches and practitioners on women's hormone health. And I have a whole talk just about endocrine disruptors. And one of the endocrine disruptors that a lot of women take religiously are birth control pills. Um, 
but you know even just in the environment and in the food supply and the water supply and uh, pesticides and all of these things that we are exposed to can lock on to your hormone receptors in your body and, and just wreak havoc. So I think women that have PCO are probably a little uh, more susceptible to that kind of stuff. Uh, a good friend of mine, I don't know, you probably follow her on Instagram, uh, Fiona McCullough, um, wrote a great book about PCO um, that I use all the time, and she talks about differ, different types of PCO um, and the stories behind those. So it's a really good book if you like to read about that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. You should see my bookcase. It's covered in hormone-related Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for my listeners, there are different types of high testosterone. You can favor 5-alpha um, reductase versus 5-beta reductase, basically meaning you have higher symptoms of the um, heritism. So things like facial hair growth, um, even hair loss, the acne, all those things um, kind of make you more androgenic. So if you have that issue, my favorite herbs for blocking um, that for helping with that would be doing things like saw palmetto, nettles, zinc, green tea extract. But that's where it's very important that you test, don't guess, right? So you got to make sure you do use things like the Dutch test to see if you even favor 5-alpha reductase. Um, Do you have a favorite in regards to 5-alpha reductase? Uh, Saw palmetto. It's kind of the big one. Um, The you know, and you have to be you have to be careful because um, the five alpha reductase actually is if you if you take your testosterone down that pathway, you're going to down that um, um, if you take it down that pathway and you go more towards um, uh, what's called uh, dihydrotestosterone. Now the dihydrotestosterone is actually stronger than testosterone, and that affects the hair cells. And um, that's where you you lose your hair. So, but yeah, saw palmetto will help move away from that. Um, there's some there's some that show uh, things like ginseng could possibly help. Um, um, but on the other hand, it could also increase your level of testosterone. Uh, so you really have to watch um, uh, which ones you know what you're using. And like you said, if you don't measure these, how do you know? um, if they're working. So, um, and, and and sometimes you're taking, people take like, uh, multivitamins and if multivitamins have levels of arginine and arginine can raise your blood pressure, zinc, like you mentioned, um, but zinc can also raise testosterone if you take too much. So, um, you just really have to be careful. And like you said, from the beginning, you want to work, um, with somebody. You don't want to just try this on your own and start throwing all these. That's the thing is you can go online and find a product that's got 12 different things in it, but who knows if it's working, you know? Exactly. That's why it always has to be you, you have to always work with a practitioner. Now I'm very excited because Dr. Sean has a new program out, right? So do you mind telling my listeners about what you got going for yourself and how you're helping to educate different consumers and practitioners? Mm -hmm. So three things. One for the consumers is, um, I can see anybody in Austin or Texas really that has insurance that can make it to the office. Obviously I'll take insurance to help you out. Um, if you live outside of the state or you can't make it, um, I can still see you. What I, I do have some online visits at my website, 
which is tassonemd.com, T-A-S-S-O-N-E-M-D.com, backslash the number one-on-one consultations. And there's different packages there that you can buy that do include Dutch testing. Um, uh, Blood testing, usually run that through your insurance. But uh, right now I have a special going on probably for the next couple of days where um, for uh, basically the cost of just two visits with me, I, I'm giving the Dutch test for free, which as we talked about, isn't the cheapest thing in the world, but um, I just wanted everybody to be able to try it. So you can go to the premium health pack, hormone health package, and actually the price is reflecting a free Dutch test. So uh, that's one thing. And then for practitioners, I have two courses. I have one for um, practitioners that are licensed. So like nurse practitioners, doctors, uh, people that actually have a license to practice, um, where uh, which is tassonmd.com backslash hormone mastery course. And that's uh, 12 modules, different hormones, consenting patients, interpreting Dutch tests, all those things. Uh, it's at your own pace. It's online. Um, it also includes, for practitioners, it includes 12 months with me where you just have access to me. So if you have questions, about patients, if you want to send me their test results and just get my opinion, um, it's kind of like having a mentor for 12 months, and that's included in the course. And then the course for um, people like health coaches or people that aren't necessarily seeing patients, they're seeing clients, um, I have a course for them that's a little bit, just a, it's a little different price. It doesn't have the access necessarily to me. Um, I can, you can pay for that if you like, but most coaches don't necessarily need that. So I made it a little more affordable for them. And that's tassonmd.com backslash hormone mastery certification. So same courses, same depth, really, just not as much exposure to me. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, for coming on my podcast, sharing your wealth of knowledge. Can you tell my listeners where they can find you and follow you on different social media websites? So I'm on Instagram, uh, Sean Tasson, MD, at Sean Tasson, MD, S-H-A-W-N-T-A-S-S-O-N-E-M-D. Um, my, I, I have a, a Facebook page if anybody even uses Facebook anymore. Um, I'm on there as, uh, uh Sean Tasson, America's holistic gynecologist. Um, my website is, uh, tassonmd.com. If you're looking for an appointment, you can actually make an appointment online at Dr. Sean Tasson, uh, doctor being DR, drshantasson.com and you can make an appointment online. Awesome. So you said you did, you do telehealth, right? Yep, I sure do. Awesome. That's a gr- that's great because there are so many listeners who they can't find anybody in their area. So you guys, if you're having trouble, hit up Dr. Sean. You're good to go. Thank you so much again, and I hope you have a fabulous day. Thanks for having me.